Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Seems fitting this morning that we were able to make that declaration. Together, some people here, because we weren't able to sing that declaration on Easter Sunday together. So we make it this morning that he is forever alive. He's risen from the dead. Jesus is not dead. He is alive. Hallelujah. The whole faith of Christianity is rooted in that simple truth that Jesus conquered the grave. And the Bible says he's the first fruits. He's the first of many sons who would also conquer the grave. That as Christ rose, so shall you also raise. Amen. And that you will live victoriously with him forever. The Bible says our even though we have lots of hope in this life, we have lots of miracles in this life, we have lots of breakthrough in this life, that our hope is not limited to this life. Paul said if it was limited to this life, then we should be pitied above all men. But we have resurrection hope. Therefore, it's not limited to this life, and we realize what we have yet to come is better than anything we could ever dream. Amen? Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Man, if you didn't get fired up with that worship this morning, check your pulse. Breathe into a mirror when you get home. See if it fogs up. See, make sure you're okay. Because, I mean, that was worth getting excited about right there this morning. Amen. Uh, let's give the worship some praise here and some thanks here this morning. Some, Amen. Come on. You guys did great this morning. We're so appreciative. Uh, you know, they come in a lot earlier than you do to be ready here on Sunday morning. And then all the camera crew and stuff here are a lot earlier than you are to be ready on Sunday morning. And so there's just a little bit of activity that happens before you get into this place. And so when you see somebody that maybe you notice was behind a camera or in a sound booth or on the stage, just tell them, you know, you really appreciate what they're doing, you know, uh, bless them, encourage them, say, listen, we're so grateful for all the work you put in uh, so that you make it possible for us to not only worship live, but also to put it online and people can join with us from all across the city and the nation. Amen? It's exciting stuff. Well, uh, you know, we've been talking about the, uh, the big three, the big three questions, you know, uh, that you need to know the answer to to have success in this life and in the next. And those three questions are pretty simple. Uh, you need to know whose you are, uh, you need to know who you are, and you need to know to whom you've been called to walk out life with, to do life with. And really simply, when we answer the question of whose we are, and we understand that we belong to the Lord, that we are his children, we've been grafted into the kingdom, then we have the answer to our identity in life. And the uh, question of whose we are is answering your identity. And when your identity is rooted in whose you are, rather than who you are, uh, then if your job changes, your career changes, if you end up you know, on, a, on a sick bed, if you end up not able to work anymore, whatever, you still, you still don't have an identity crisis because you know whose you are, amen? Because you know that you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. The second question that we need to know the answer to is who we are. We need to know how God created us, made us unique, crafted us, gifted us, and positioned us to be an influence in other people's lives. And that, you know, can be a, a lifetime calling. It can also be something that changes, something that, you know, uh, God may use us in this one area and this one gifting for many years and then shift us. And then we may find ourselves in a different career. But if we know whose we are first, then that doesn't bring an identity crisis. We just, we just go, okay, God, you got a different assignment for me? Then I'll, I'll discover my purpose and who I am. Amen? 
So who you are is about identity. Who you are is about purpose. And then that third question we've been dealing with the last few weeks, uh, you know, to whom am I called? To whom am I to do life with? And even when Christians get the first two questions down right, which is many times uh, not the case, but even when they do, very few people press in hard enough to get the answer to that third question. To whom has God called me, positioned me to do life with? The greatest problem with the disenfranchised church, you know, those people who, who say, yeah, I'm a Christian, but I don't go to church, is that they're totally ignoring the third question. To whom am I to do life with? I've had conversations with many people who have cut themselves off from the body of Christ and uh, have said, you know, I can, I can be a Christian. I don't need to go to church. The church is full of hypocrites. Well, at least when you left, there was one less, that's for sure. But, um, but <laughs> oh, sorry, was that, was that too harsh? But the point that I'm getting at is this, that, you know, we're, we all have hypocritical moments. Amen? <laughs> we all have hypocritical moments. Nobody's perfect. And if you're looking for a perfect church, you'll never find one. And if you do find one, don't go because it won't be perfect anymore. You know, I'm listening to the radio the other day and the guy comes on and he, he, they had this little comedy clip and the guy said, I would never want to belong to any club that would have me as a member. <laughs> Let that sink in for a minute. <laughs> and I thought that was pretty funny. But you know, the reality is, is that nobody's perfect. We, we, we all have blemishes. But we're called to walk together with other people, other blemished people. Jesus is the one who's perfect, and he is, if we'll let him, perfecting us. But he can only perfect us by using other people. And when people disenfranchise, you know, I talk to them, I say, you know, what are you doing for missions? Well, you know, would you say you're doing more for missions since you disenfranchised or less? Do you, do you, you know, call upon brothers and sisters and pray with them and, and do more of that or less? Do you study the word together with other brothers more or less? And the reality is in almost every category, it's less, less, less. Because God called us to get together. God called us to work together. God called us to walk together. And one of the reasons he called us to do it together is we get to bump into each other's imperfections. And the Bible says, as iron sharpens iron, so does one man or one woman's countenance sharpen another. That it's that ongoing life experience of being refined by one another that makes us into better people. And sometimes the people that are making you the best are the ones that irritate you the most. And uh, <laughs> some of you are saying, you're right, Pastor, you're making me better, and I can't tell you how many times you've irritated me, but, you know, uh, it's true. It really is true. And uh, what's the guy from Britain that's now in California? Uh, Cook. Graham Cook. I remember Graham Cook talking about, you know, the dream he had of the three guys that were constantly showing up at his meetings and heckling them all through the meetings and everything else. And then he had a dream one night that, you know, there was a statue and he, these three sculptors came in and God said, would you like to see the statue? And then God, he said, yes, I'd like to see it. So he said, well, tell the sculptors to chisel faster. And so he did. He said, chisel faster. They're chiseling and chiseling. And then he says, chisel faster. And he goes, and God says, would you like to see? He goes, yes, I would. Well, tell them to chisel faster. So they're chiseling quicker and quicker. And, and then when they finish, they stand back and it's a statue of Graham himself. And God says, who does it look like? He said, it looks like me and it looks fantastic, Lord. He said, would you like to see your sculptors? And he said, yes. And they turned around and took their masks off. And it was the three guys who've been heckling him at all the meetings. And that's when he realized that they were being used to, to refine who he was. And, uh, and so the next meeting he went to, 
he made sure he had coffee and donuts ready for them. And when he, they showed up outside the, the meeting hall to heckle him, he went over and served them coffee and donuts and blessed them. And they were like, <laughs> and uh, that was the end of the heckling. But, you know, the reality is God has positioned us together, one another, for our journey in Christ. And if we try to circumnavigate the process, we don't become all that God's called us to be. Amen? I talked to you a number of weeks ago about our work as a believer right? Our work as a believer, Jesus' work when he was on the earth was to impart the things that he had received from God to his disciples, and he made that plain. And uh, then I said, our work as a believer is threefold. Our work is, first of all, to live as a good son. Secondly, to join hands with brothers and sisters in the bonds of friendship. And thirdly, to become a good spiritual father or mother. That is our work here. And we've spent several weeks talking about what it is, first of all, to walk hand-in-hand with brothers and sisters and to forge life-giving friendships with other people. And we started with that because that's the one that's most familiar to us. That's the one that the language that we, we consider the most. And last week, I ended that by talking about four ways that you can love your brother or sister. Number one was to uh, have consideration for a weaker brother or sister, right? Uh, number two was to release one another from expectations, So much of the strife in the body of Christ is because other people don't meet your expectations. And we need to park our expectations. And then the third one was to exercise forgiveness. In other words, don't hold on to any offenses. If people do something that bothers you, hurts you, wounds you, don't hold on to an offense. And the fourth one was to be, uh, you know, believe the best of one another. It's easy to expect the worst. We need to be people who believe the best in one another. Well, today... I want to return uh, to, to the topic of, you know, answering one of the other works that we have, which is to become a good spiritual son. We need to become a good son. And how do we do that? Well, in order to be a good son, you need to know who your daddy is. So today's message is simple. It's called, Who's Your Daddy? Who's Your Daddy? Do you know who your daddy is? You need to have a daddy. You know, <clears throat> why do I say that? Well, the idea of fatherhood is integral to the nature of God. Even when we speak about God, we speak of him as God the what? The Father. The concept of fatherhood is integral to the nature, the very nature of God. And as you read through the scripture, you see God referred to as father or using feminine language as well as a mother over and over and over and over again in scripture. God is not just called father as a title, but he's called father because it's his very nature. It's his nature to reveal himself as father, to reveal himself as father. And when we practice our faith outside of the revelation of God as father, then that's where we fall into religion. Really, it is. It's when we remove ourselves from the intimacy of being father and son, father and daughter, and we, we don't see our, our, our God as our heavenly father. That's when we fall into all kinds of religious craziness, cult stuff, you know, hate-filled stuff, all that kind of stuff. But if we can stay in that place where we see him as father, then we are in a good spot for sure. It's the desire of the father that we embrace his affection, and that we live as sons and we live as daughters, the the sons and daughters that we've been purchased to be. Now, Jack Hayford writes, how many people have a Spirit-Filled Life Bible? Do you have one of those? If you've never got one, they're a phenomenal resource. 
Uh, and the notes that Jack Hayford has collected from all kinds of other uh, spirit-filled Holy Ghost believers and preachers and teachers is phenomenal. He has all kinds of kingdom notes in there. He's got breaking down of Greek words, all kinds of stuff. I would encourage you to grab one. They're fantastic. But he writes this when he's uh, speaking about the nature of the Father. He said, Father, a very simple word, Ab, is found in many compound names in the Bible. For example, Abraham is the father of many. Uh, Abimelech or Abimelech is my father, the king. Yoab, which is literally Yahweh is father, is what that's an abbreviation of. Absalom, you know, when you say shalom to someone, peace. Absalom is father of peace. That's what the name means. And so he points out that Ab is supposed to be one of the first words that a, a child can speak or a baby speaks. And the Aramaic form of Ab is Abba. And we have that recorded in our scripture. And it was the common language spoken by the average Hebrew person in their Greek culture world at the time of the writing of the scripture. And today, even today, if you were to go to Israel, little children would call their, their fathers, they, when they're young, they would call them Abba. And it literally, literally, if we had a close translation in English, Abba means Dada, or at the most, Daddy. Does everybody follow what I'm saying so far? And so... Understanding that, then listen to this. When Jesus was at the darkest moment of his life, uh, when Jesus was about to go to the cross, we find in Mark chapter 14, verses 34 to 36, this passage of Scripture. Jesus says, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. And then he looked at the disciples and said, Stay here and keep watch. And then going a little farther, he fell to the ground and he prayed that if it was possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. They put Father in there so we would understand what Abba means. But literally what he said was, Abba, everything's possible to you. Abba, everything is possible to you. He didn't say, oh, our Lord and gracious heavenly Father. At his moment of greatest sorrow and pain, he looked up to heaven and, and, he, and he fell on his face and he said, Daddy, Daddy, I need you. Daddy, I need you. Jesus applied this toddler's expression of intimacy with God when he prayed to the Lord at his darkest hour. He said, Daddy, if it's possible, take this cup from me. But if not, Whatever you will, be done. That's how Jesus spoke to the Father. How was he able to speak to the Father that way? Because they were so close. They were so close. There was such intimacy in their relationship. You know, you fast forward in the Scripture and you understand that Paul, Paul the Apostle, grasped that intimate nature as well. In Romans chapter 8, and I won't read all of it from 12 to 17, but beginning in verse 15, it's a great passage of Scripture, Paul says, For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And then he said, And by him we cry, Abba. Paul says, We cry, Daddy. Paul understood his relationship the same way Jesus did. He said, we call him Daddy. We don't call him some far-off figurehead. We say, Daddy, Daddy, I need you. I listen to people pray. And 
And you can learn a lot about people by listening to them pray. And, and you know, when, and, I'm, and this isn't a judgment, this is just a revelation for me, is when I see people pray and, and, and their communication is, that it doesn't sound anything like it does when they talk normal. You ever notice that? That they throw in all kinds of, you know, pauses and stuff, and they'll, they'll say, Lord God, 900 times, and they'll say, oh, you know, do you talk, do you say, hey, Kevin, how are you doing today, Kevin? Good to see you, Kevin. You know, what are you doing today, Kevin? Could we go together, Kevin, over to the store, Kevin, tomorrow? Kevin, what do you think, Kevin? No, then why do you pray like that? You see, uh, you know, the reality is, is that prayer should be, should be the most intimate expression of your heart to his. And we should talk to him as though we would talk to the person that we're most in love with in our entire lives. And we should be able to use words like, you know, Daddy, I need your help today. Lord, I need you today. And then just let it out. It doesn't need to sound any more holy or righteous than any other conversation you have. It should sound most intimate, the most personal of any conversation you have. And so Paul understood that as well. And there's, in Galatians chapter 4, he did the same thing. He, he said, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, the Spirit that calls out, Abba, Father. Paul's revelation of God was that Jesus was, if Jesus was able to call Him Daddy, I can call Him Daddy. If Jesus could call Him Daddy, I can call Him Daddy. Why? Because I've been adopted into the family of God. I'm a joint heir with Christ. I'm a I am, I am with him, I'm his brother, I'm his, you know, I'm his colleague, I'm, I'm, I'm his family member, and I can call him daddy just as well as Jesus can call him daddy. Now, how do you get to that place where you have such comfort with a father that you're able to call him daddy? Well, it's completely rooted in your ability to grasp that he loves you. You need to grasp how much he loves you. If you can grasp it, you can call him daddy. If, you can, if the penny drops, if it gets into your spirit that he loves you, that he really, really loves you, and then it's not conditional upon performance or how well you do or how smart you are, how gifted you are, any other thing, he just loves you. If you can get that, if you can get that and let that get in you and, and change you, then you're going to be able to call him daddy. It won't sound cheap to you. It won't, it won't sound sacrilegious. It won't sound childish. It'll be just like, Dad, help me today. And I know a lot of people, oh, I, I don't think I could call him Dad. I'm not saying you have to call him Dad either. I'm just saying the understanding, the ability to sit back in his presence and to just talk to him is the result of knowing that he loves you. God wants his love for you to become the motivating force in your life. He wants it to become the thing that propels you to be better, the thing that causes you to walk out your life. It causes you to live free from sin, that you run away from those things, not because you're under law, not because you're, you're afraid, not because of any of those, but because you're in love with a daddy who says to you, I got better things for you than that. That's what he wants for your life. He wants you to so understand his love for you. Psalm 68, verse 5, 6 says, He's a father of the fatherless, a defender of widows. God uh, sets places, the, the lonely in families, and he leads forth prisoners with singing, but the rebellious live in a sun-scorched land. In other words, he's saying, you know, understand when you, you experience his love, you're in a family. 
And those who, and what's that look like? It's refreshing, it's satisfying. But those outside, they're in a sun-scorched land. And he says in Matthew 7, 11, if you then being evil, you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to them that ask? <laughs> He's trying to say, do you get it? I love you, I want to do good things for you. I really, really do. There's so many verses that speak about the love of God, I could be up here all day just reading them. Uh, but the point that you need to grasp is that he loves you. And if you can grab that, everything else can fall into place. Probably the greatest passage about God's love for us, and my favorite anyway, is Romans chapter 8, verse 38 and 39, where Paul says, for I am convinced. Everybody say convinced. Are you convinced? He was convinced. I'm convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither heights, nor depth, nor anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord. I love that passage. There's nothing that can separate me from him. All right. Now, yeah, I was going, how, what's this got to do with me and a spiritual father? I'm getting there. Now, the fourth thing I want to talk to you about this morning is this. That love sometimes involves discipline. Everybody say discipline. One of the byproducts of true love, true sonship, is that a father disciplines his sons. A father disciplines his daughters. Proverbs 3, 11 and 12 says, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline, and do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son he delights in. Isaiah 64, 8. But now, O Lord, we are, you are our father. We are the clay. You're the potter. And we are the work of your hand. In other words, he's shaping us, molding us. Uh, another excellent passage, Hebrews chapter 12. Paul writes, starting verse 7, And your hardship is discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? If you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of our spirits and live? Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time. Everybody say, no discipline. No discipline, it seems pleasant at the time. It, it doesn't. It never does. But later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Trained by it. Now, here's where I want to make a point this morning. If you look discipline up in the dictionary, it says this. It's the practice of training people to obey rules or a code of behavior. Training people. Training people. <clears throat> comes from the Latin. Uh, uh, disciplina, or, which means instruction or knowledge. Now, the word punishment. The word punishment is the infliction or imposition of a penalty as retribution for an offense or a transgression or a legal moral code. Now, that comes from the Latin word punier, which means penalty. Now, today we live in a society where we're very confused as parents, about our role and about the meaning and the purpose and function of discipline versus punishment. And we're very confused about our Lord. We think God is out there punishing us, and He's not. Everybody say, He's not. You need to understand, it does not matter what sin you commit. The punishment for your sin was taken 
by Jesus on the cross. I remember when Bill Johnson, the first time he said it, I was like, whoa, but the more I studied it and the more I understood it, he was absolutely right. He said, as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are unpunishable by the Lord. I was like, what? He didn't say you're not disciplinable. There's no way that God would discipline you. He said you're unpunishable because the punishment for your sins was taken by Jesus on the cross. Are you hearing me this morning? It was taken by Jesus on the cross. Therefore, God does not punish anymore. So when people say to me, well, I think, you know, this or that, or even the coronavirus, do you think it's a, it's a plague from God against this or that? No, I don't believe that. I don't believe that. It's not. It's not. Everybody say it's not. God disciplines us, but he does not punish us because the punishment was taken by Jesus Christ. And we have to understand that. And, the, and because we don't understand that, we end up making the same mistake with our children. I remember sitting down with Glenn Shaver one day. And it was one of the greatest revelations I think I ever received from Glenn. And Glenn looked at me and he said, you know, he said, the problem with our society today is that we're disciplining criminals and punishing our children. I was like, whoa! He said, we're disciplining criminals and punishing our children. His point was that as a society, we punish children. We usually do it in anger, but we, don't take, li- we take very little time to train them and instruct them and to, to, to apply what discipline is. What's discipline? It's training people to obey a certain code, the Bible says, right? Or the de- dictionary said. So, so he said, we take very little time to train children, but we, we spend millions in attempting to train a criminal when they haven't even experienced any kind of punishment for their crime yet either. They're not even repentant yet necessarily, or, or you know, they're not willing to say, I, I, I was even wrong. He goes, but we spent all this money in trying to discipline. He goes, but then with our own children, we're punishing. We need to flip that around. We need to flip that around. If you really love your children, take time to discipline them rather than punish them. Take time to discipline them. Raise them to love instruction, to take encouragement, to be trained. And training takes time. Rather than just smacking a child and say, don't do that. Explain to them why it's not good to do that. Talk to them about it. Talk to them about what happens when you do that. Talk to them about this. Talk to them about that. But, but make sure you train your child. The Bible says train a child in the way they should go. And when they're old, they will not depart from it. Train. Discipline's a wonderful thing if you understand what, the difference between discipline and punishment. The Bible says in Proverbs 13, He who ignores discipline comes to poverty and shame, but whoever heeds correction is honored. A fool spurns his father's discipline, but whoever heeds correction shows prudence. Proverbs 15.5. Verse 32 says, He who ignores discipline despises himself, but whoever heeds correction gains understanding. The one who truly wishes to live as a son of God must embrace, must embrace God's discipline. He wants to train us. And sometimes he's going to have to correct us. If we're going off in this direction, he's going to push us back in this direction. And sometimes he needs to pull us out of the pack to be able to do that, to turn us in this direction. Or he needs to, you know, use another brother or sister to correct us and move us in this direction. And that's where we come to spiritual fathers and mothers in our lives. We all need somebody who can help us in our journey. Why? Because none of us is smart enough to do this on our own. We all need somebody who's been further, dug deeper, lived longer, 
and has more on the ball spiritually than we do. We need that. It doesn't matter who, who we are. We all need that in our lives. And when we have somebody in our life who's functioning that way, what they can do is they literally can literally shorten so many experiences and portions of our journey. Because we learn faster. We, we gain knowledge quicker. We, we get ahead of the game. We, we are ab- able to function better and handle uh, problems quicker and sort things out faster. Because we have a spiritual father and mother who's helping to pave the way for us. And sometimes they're going to have to bring correction. You know, Ken, who's going to be here in a couple weeks, he, he's been a spiritual father in my life for like a decade now. Uh, and, and, when, and there's a few times, maybe two or three, when Ken's had to say, you know, and, and because we're both adults now, he doesn't call me up every week and tell me what I'm doing wrong. No, 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 no. I, it comes from invitation. So, you know, I'll be in the car with him. We've got a couple hours. I'll say, hey, is there anything in my life that the Lord's been showing you that you need to speak to me about? He goes, well, as a matter of fact, and I'm mature enough to know I need it, so I ask, and then I trust him enough to receive it. Does everybody understand that? That's how it works. So we don't need somebody in our life who's constantly berating us. We need somebody who, when we ask, when we go to them and say, Could, you know, what do you think? Is there anything in my life? Is there something God's been speaking to you about? That, and we trust them enough that they'd speak it into our life. And you've got to have let them be close enough to you to even be able to see it in the first place. We want to live like this with everybody. You know, for many people, you know, two meters different, uh, distance and COVID's nothing at all because you keep everybody 20 feet away all the time. Are you hearing me? relationally, we need to let people in. I like how Ken says the word intimacy means into me see. We have to let people close enough to our life that they can actually see what's going on in there. And you're like, I don't want anyone to see what's going on in here. It'd scare them. Well, that's why we need them, so they can help us change what's going on in there. Help us work on it. Help us be better people. We all need that in our life. We need it. You know, Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 14 to 16, he said, I'm not writing this to shame you, but to warn you. I'm not preaching this this morning to shame you, but to warn you. He said, as my dear children, even though you have, listened to this, even though you have 10,000 guardians, 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. And then he said, therefore, I urge you to imitate me. You need somebody in your life that you can imitate. You need somebody in your life that you can say, I want to be just like them. I want to be just like them. You need somebody. It doesn't mean you have to have their personality. It doesn't mean you have to copy their phrases, although maybe some of that will rub off. But it means that you look at their character and you want your character to be like their character. I want to be like them. It doesn't mean that you have to, if you're a carpenter, you need to find a carpenter doesn't mean if you're a mechanic, you need to find a mechanic. No, no, no. This is about your character. This is about your spiritual man, spiritual woman. That's what you need to focus on. And you need to find somebody that you say, I want to be like them. And it doesn't matter how old we are. We need that in our life. And it doesn't matter. Sometimes as we get older in life, we may find somebody who's actually younger than us that fulfills that role in our life and who's walked further than us and, 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 and has been taken deeper by the Lord. There's no shame in that. That's awesome. But generally speaking, before a person's able to function that way in someone's life, they've got to have a little bit of maturity under their belt to be a spiritual father or mother. But the first thing is we've got to learn how to be a good son or daughter. We've got to learn what it is to 
to, you know, seek somebody out, to walk with somebody, to honor somebody, to love somebody, to say, I want to imitate that person. You know, my life has been shaped by the influence of earthly fathers who have spoken into me and become spiritual fathers in my life and who have been willing to risk it all to bring correction or to change things that I need to change. Most people don't see the value of fathers in our society and, and including the fathers themselves. And so we have so many homes without dads. We have so many children right, being raised without father in their life. And so they come forward and they get into, they become a, get married or they get into a relationship and they become a father or mother themselves and they, they weren't fathered themselves. They weren't mothered themselves. And so we don't so desperately need, we've never needed spiritual fathers and mothers more than we've ever needed it today because we're so disconnected relationally in the physical, we need it even more in the spiritual. In my experience, there isn't, it's not that there's a lack of fathers or mothers, there's a lack of people willing to live as a son. To be able to go, I need a daddy, this person is my daddy. I need a mom, this person is my mom. And to go to them and say, would you help me? To be humble enough and say, here I am, <sighs> such as I am, would you be willing to help me? Would you be willing to pour into me? Yeah, there's some humility required to do that but it changes everything. Talk to anybody who has humbled themselves and taken that step and see how it's impacted their life. We all need a spiritual father, a spiritual mother in our life. We all need it. We all need somebody that we take the keys of our heart and we place it in their hands and we say, would you help me in this journey? Now understand, you're two adults here. So a lot of people get confused. They, they think, oh, so I need somebody who's going to, you know, spiritually, so to speak, change my diapers and feed me and everything else. No, 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 no. We're adults, right? We're adults. So think more in terms of what is the role in a healthy home? What's the role look like once the kids have left home, but they still look to their mom and dad? What's that look like? That's what we're talking about when we talk about spiritual fathers and mothers, all right? We're talking about not, you know, not, not having to, to make the kids' decisions for them, but to be the sounding board, to be the one that reflects for them, to be the one that shows them what a good decision is and how good fruit comes from a good decision. You know, we're the, the, and, and the pace of it, the pace of it will be set by the son. This is the single greatest question I get asked for people. Shouldn't fathers pursue the sons? And I say, well, you know, no, sons should pursue the fathers. The fathers set the temperature, in other words, the accessibility, how warm the relationship's going to be, whether you can, I'm, I'm there and you can just come and talk to me anytime or not, that's set by the, the father or the mother. But the pace, that's got to be set by the son. That's got to be set by the daughter. Otherwise, it gets weird. You know, how many know when you grow up as an adult and you're, you're running your own family, you don't need your parents calling you up all the time and saying, did you chuck your kids into bed tonight? Did you do this? Did you do that? No, that's weird. And spiritually, you don't need that either. But you do need somebody that you can pick the phone up and say, listen, I got this problem at work. I need your help. What should I do? Bingo. Who do you call? If you don't have that person in your life, you need that person in your life. And you need it right now. And you need to go to God and say, God, show me. Show me who that person's supposed to be. You don't need 10 people doing that. You need just one or two. Are you hearing me? You don't need 10, you know, because then you're just going to, what am I supposed to do? 
No, but you do need one or two. And we all need them. We all need them. Stand with me this morning. I'm going to close. Father, we just thank you today for the truth of your scripture. We thank you, Lord, that God, you have shown us throughout the scripture how important a relationship with you is as father. But Lord, then you showed us how we all, you know, through Paul and through so many others in scriptures that, that we all need spiritual, physical parents that are here in our life, people with skin on that can help us in our journey as well. Father, help us to to learn to humble ourselves and to take the keys of our life and give somebody the permission to speak into our lives, to hasten the journey, to help us to do things uh, better and more effectively and, Father, more passionately, more uh, kingdomly. And, Father, we ask it today in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, everybody. Pastor Kevin Dowling here from Desert Stream. Just giving a shout-out to you and saying thanks for joining us this week. We trust that you receive something out of what was shared today, and we hope that it spoke to you and that it encouraged you in this season that we find ourselves in. You know, you could do us a big favor if you would just uh, share, uh, like, uh, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Let people know that there's a place that you found that you're getting an encouragement and hope each and every week. We hope you plan to check in with us next week, be a part of our expression again, and help spread the word that God is in control in the midst of this season. We love you. We bless you.